Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 120th episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that partners with your wallet. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor at Space to Pace Games. Space to Pace Games.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and to Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling on spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is the lovely and talented Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. As always, this show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, what's on the agenda this week? We have four things to go over this week. Uh, I almost called you Travis. What a faux pas indeed. We are are Uh, menaging all over the place, so... I'm sure it gets, sure it gets Listen, I can't tell you guys apart late at night, so it works sure. out. We have uh, a whole bunch of spikes this week. That's segment one. We have uh, our picks of the week. That will be segment two. Segment three, we have uh, Star City Games in Louisville to go over, and that has some interesting modern results. And finally, in segment four, we're going to talk about Battle Bond and some of the really spicy things that are in that set. Sounds pretty sweet. Um, did we decide to skip the segment where I cry for 10 minutes on your shoulder about how my extremely robust package of specs from Europe has disappeared in the postal system? Uh, you have two minutes, James. Go. <laughs> I'm not really going to bore everybody with all that, but it's uh, it's been a, it's been a bit of a Kafka-esque nightmare um, where C- Canadian Border Services and the Postal Service can not exactly agree on where the package is. So uh, last best guess I got on Friday afternoon was it's probably just sitting in a backlog room being ignored. Um, and maybe it will show up to this week. So <laughs> we'll just, see. just so we have an idea of whether to be sad or uh there are inevitably people who are going to hate you for it. Ballpark us of value no, on this. Package. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. But the okay. let's just say it's it's too much um, to have risked in a single box, and I am a risk taker, and this may be my comeuppance. And we'll see how it goes. It, let's put it this way: it's a pivot point on my year. It'll be on the fine on the MPG finance side of things. It'll be pretty tough to clear enough to make up for what would be lost. So. Did you have it insured? You can't insure a package to that level. Like, not in any reasonable way. Oh, my goodness. Not in any reasonable way. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at your misfortune, James. That, that just kind of... I, I did. It, it, it is only about two-thirds of what it could have been. Um, I did leave some back. Um, there was a few packages that were lagging, so I decided to split it up to make it easier on, on the guy that was packing it for me, and certainly he did no, did no wrong here. As far as I can tell, everything's been easy-breezy on his end. Um, so it's really just a question of whether this thing ever shows up. If it does, I will certainly celebrate by some kind of giveaway on Twitter for everybody. <laughs> well, we will, uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, man. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right. So moving right along, uh, jumping into the 
top movers of the week. It's a fairly standard week for Magic Finance in 2018. New and exciting cards for Commander players, causing other cards to spike. We've got reserve list stuff. We've got some competitive cards on the move. Uh, it's a good grab bag. So starting off from the bottom, we've got Crystal Quarry Foils from Odyssey. That's a pretty old set of foils. Moving from 16 to 30 on the back of Joda being one of the top three most popular new commanders at a Dominaria. Uh, likewise, uh, people fooling around with Knight Tribal in both EDH and probably Fringe decks for Modern. Um, related to history of Benalia, have been buying up foil copies of Knight Exemplar. Um, those have gone from $5 to $10 for, in theory, a double up if you can uh, find somebody to take them off your hands. Um, it's been a while since I, that card was printed. M11, M11 was like a decade ago, um, and they hasn't seen a reprint, so I'm not too surprised there. And even if we do see a reprint, it's going to be something like a, in a commander deck with a knight commander, because this is awesome. And having the foils are always good. I don't think you'd have a hard time finding somebody to take this. Something you you will have a hard time finding, though, is the next one. Like, <laughs> How many people are actually going to lay out $700 for a foil Academy Rector? Uh, it's a foil, but it's on the reserve list. There's never going to be any more. Uh, we just got Academy Rector for Planeswalkers of all damn things. Uh, yes, it's awesome in your queue, but uh, is anybody playing this in Legacy? I don't think so. I think there's some fringe decks that can run it for like Omniscience or something, right? Yeah, that's a that's true. But I'd rather just sneak and show it into play. But it's not even remotely like mainstream Legacy. I mean, it's extremely fast format that doesn't easily forgive four drops. Um, so, I mean, this is really more about, it's the first year of Magic Foils that the last two sets after, in the Urza's block after Urza's Saga is where they introduced that technology. And many of those foils are very hard to come by because there just aren't that many surviving, especially ones that aren't, haven't been scraped up or, um, you know, damaged beyond, uh, mainstream appeal. So... The, you know, these things have been on the move all year. Um, can you get 700 cash for it? Probably not. Like, buy lists haven't, are, are keeping pretty reasonable pace on these. Um, but you're probably more likely to land in the 450 to 600 zone, I would guess. Yeah. Given a little, if you've got one in your cube, I would not do anything to it. I would simply update your renter's insurance policy to reflect that this stupid thing doubled. And we have a lot more dumb cards that have doubled on the list this week. Yeah, I mean, Academy Rector foils on the Card Kingdom buy list. They're offering three fifty one in credit. So, um, yeah, they 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 are not caught up yet. Yeah, that doesn't re represent a tremendous confidence in the seven hundred dollar plateau. Uh, what was next on the list? Uh, so Juzum Jin has been under pressure all year. In theory, according well, to hey, hey, what, what? I'm sorry. What's it called? Jin. Is that really how it's pronounced? How do you pronounce it? Oh, man. <laughs> I've always heard it called Jazam. Yeah, that seems like an Americanism. <laughs> well, my, my guess what is can I say, sir? I don't live in the frozen tundra. Well, I know. It's not about tundra. It's probably about having Muslim friends, since this is some kind of appropriated word from Arabian Nights folklore, probably. The, uh, okay keeping in mind that that entire set was basically lifted from loose mythology, right? This is before they were building their own worlds. Um, yeah. But anyway, this thing has become the poster child for old school magic. 
um, and also uh, a lot of people from that that played in that era um, in their teens or early 20s have a lot of nostalgia built up around this card, which has driven the price pretty high. I mean, $2,000 for this would have been ridiculous five years ago, um, but it's not really making me blink to see this keep ratcheting up because old school players can you know, run a full playset. Um, that tends to be a fairly elite format, uh, servicing people with deep pockets. Um, not all the time, but quite a lot of the time since it allows the power nine, et cetera. Um, and so it's it's a playable card in an elite format, which means, and it's on the reserve list. So you go bango. Nothing else to add to that. It, it's that confluence of you need four of them to play old school. Uh, there's never been a reprint of it to add to anything. Like you can't even argue with someone to get the Chronicles version into your old school tournament. Well, one of the things I think is I was debating, you know, spending my usual hour per day debating with people on Twitter about the same reserve list issues. And, you know, some of the discussion today was about um, you know, trying to drive home that when you say that a deck in Legacy has gone from being $1,500 or $2,000 to, or for in the case of something like Lands, like maybe last year it was 6000 and now it's 12000 or 15000 to play the deck or something. Those are not the economic barriers that matter in Magic. Like the economic barriers that matter in Magic are the ones at the front door where somebody like is told that this game has rarities and economy, um, limited edition sets, and that it is at least partially pay to win in the sense that they put key cards for competitive formats at rare and mythic, right? So, you know, if you are a 12 year old kid or somebody on a limited budget, or you've got a whole waggle of kids, um, they're draining your your uh, adult salary um, as though you were a teenager, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure as parents we can somewhat relate to. Uh, you know, all of those circumstances and many more can result in this game just, you know, pricing you out from the get-go. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you've made it through the gauntlet of working your way up through, like, casual play, through the visits to F&Ms and playing in tournaments and visiting GPs, GPs and then you're complaining that some of the formats you want to play are have gone from multi-thousand to multi-multi-thousand. I think that's just kind of a silly argument. The, you know, what, once you're at the position where you are already spending that much money on the game and you're that invested, it's really just up to you. Like how, how competitive do you want your deck to be in the format in question? Um, how much do you value fun versus winning? What's that worth to you? Is this game, you know, if, if that's the only part of the game you enjoy, you know, how much do you enjoy it? And I think that Jin is an example of that, right? Like this is this is a card that it isn't even good in the modern era. It's a five five for four that de deals a damage to you every turn. Like that's a terrible card. <laughs> no one's playing any of the modern versions of it. And if it's in standard, it may not even get played. So well, probably won't get played. Um, so this is really just a pure nostalgia play, and yeah, you know, it, it's. It's a, a safe place to park buy list money, for instance, because even though it, it has ratcheted up several times, there's just there's no pressures in this market that will revert, force it to reverse course. It may not be truly an $1,800 card right now. It might really be something like a $1,200 to $1,500 card. But if you can get in on it at that level and you want to play with it or you want to hold it for a while, I think you're fine. I'm with you. Uh, you posted that clip on uh, from Twitch earlier, uh, Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips <laughs> talking during the SEG. Patrick amazing. Sullivan said it very well. 
you only need these cards if you're going to play uh, constructed legacy tournaments or you know uh, things where you have to go get competitive with these. And in every other setting, uh, you can like take a sharpie and write on the back of a mountain, and you're good to go. Uh, with that in with that in mind, do we? I, the, the reserve list is a, a topic for a, a time when we both have more time and we both got our fingers crossed that the kids stay asleep. Yeah, so I mean, Patrick's really just, you know, well, he touched on several points related to MCG Finance today and the, specifically about the reserve list, which I thought were uh, important because for somebody who's not coming at it from the angle of I am a part of the MCG Finance subcommunity, um, it's important for him to be on camera echoing some of the truths that we struggle to express to people all the time. Um, namely that a, the reserve list only affects niche formats that are no longer core to the, the future of the game. Um, and while that may annoy you as a aficionado of one of the, the affected formats, um, you know, you're making choices that are <laughs> keeping you on that path. And you know it's largely up to you how you want to interact with the game. And the other part about how, you know, if you're playing Monopoly at home and you lose a game piece, you don't stop playing Monopoly until Hasbro can sell you an official replacement, right? Like we we are the, convers the conversation we had with Jesse um, a few weeks back was uh, he you know had many important points, and one of them from him was that. You know, magic players are brainwashed to believe that certain behaviors are acceptable, not acceptable. And while it certainly makes perfect sense that in competitive environments where wizards putting up prize money and partnering with vendors or tournament organizers, that the cards should be real that you bring to the tournament, um, because that's the deal. They're saying, you know, we will do these things for the community. And in exchange, all we ask is that you use the official versions of the product. But that doesn't mean that at your kitchen table, you can't scribble underground sea on a land and play the game the way you want to play it. In the comfort of your home, outside of a competitive or official setting, do whatever you need to do to max your enjoyment. Because you would with any other game. I don't know why people feel like it's <laughs> that they're in some kind of legal contract with wizards over how they, they play magic. Um, and while it is a terrible policy for all of us to take on to just proxy the shit out of the entire game in all circumstances. It, there are various shades of gray when you are teaching people to play the game, you are exploring a format, you want to test a deck to see if you like it enough to buy it, etc, etc, etc. Many good reasons that would support you testing cards before you actually put big money into them. Um, that I don't think any reasonable human being would have a problem with. And, you know, in almost, even in the formats that are directly affected by the reserve list, there are so many deck choices. So unless you are trying to become champion of the world, um, you can probably just be making different choices. <laughs> but I digress. Let's get through the rest of this list. Um, All right. I'm, I'm on board with that plan. Sure. So Healy Rye Foils from Kaladesh was one of my picks from a while back. This week going from 15 to 25, pretty much as it's called. Um, it sees fringe modern use, um, will show up in uh, EDH occasionally as well. The fact that it can copy any creature or artifact for a turn is, is kind of big game in the long term. because It's that open-ended sy synergy that I love to see on cards that I might speculate on. It's a mythic. It's from a fall set. 
the foils have largely dried up and the ramp is relatively steep at this point. So it's probably going to get into the 30 or $40 range before it ever reverses course. Important to note that this is not supported by standard play at all. So the, because Teladar Guardian Sahili Rai was kind of taken out of the format, not kind of, it was. Um, and, you know, as a result, you don't have to worry about these foil, foils retracing when they rotate out. You also don't need to re worry about a reprint for at least three years, would be my thinking. Three to five, probably. Um, there's just no way that Sahili is going to be a priority. And even if she showed up in some kind of commander product or ancillary product, the odds of it being a foil would be like 50-50 or something. I think we aren't far away from uh, Wizards giving us a Planeswalker commander deck that's a whole bunch of like sub $5 commanders. There'll be like a Dovin Bond and there'll be a Sahili oh, Rai. Sub $5 Planeswalkers, you mean? Yeah, what I say? Commanders, but I get it. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so a deck that's like mostly Planeswalkers because uh, so many people end up in that strategy anyway. Uh, we're going to probably end up getting into some of them later on when we talk about Battle Bond. But I really like the idea that they're going to, at one day, just make sure that these values stay in the mud and only the foils will have a chance to rise. So well, and, that, that makes makes sense. And the usual arguments about commander products that like foreign foils, specifically like German, Korean, and uh, Russian, never get reprints in, in those circumstances. Japanese does. Um, and so like... Japanese foil cyclonic rifts hit a good low when they were reprinted in uh, Modern Masters 2017, but rebounded as they got sucked up out of the out of the market. Um, next on the list, we've got Rafelos Lenoir Emissary, kind of similar to Academy Rector. That's a Urza's Legacy foil, I believe, moving from $100 to $200. Um, this card is too good for most, most formats. This is banned in Commander, isn't it? Yep. It is, that's because you can cast a six drop on turn three. Right. So not something that's supported by EDH, purely a collector uh, play, reserveless play. Uh, and again, probably harder to avoid retrace than something like Rector, uh, which has a broader use profile. Um, but not none of this stuff would be anything I'd be in a rush to sell. Um, because even if this retraced back to 160 or 170, give it another six months, you're going to see it show up on this list again. The inventory, yeah, right. the inventory is just that shallow on this stuff now. Exactly. Uh, the only demand is really from uh, cube players. This is a staple of uh, powered cubes. This is one of the ways that you play. Uh, this is green's advantage. Like you play this on turn two, right. and you're going to be dropping primevals on turn three and whatever the hell else you want on turn four, quite frankly. So uh, in a cube, this is where you go. And if you got it, great. And if you think you might, uh, I think actually 200 is a not unreasonable place to get in considering how some of these other cards have moved. Uh, if you want to pick up your foil now and in a year when it's $400, you can, you know, just drop a little note and say, hey, thanks guys for telling me to go ahead and buy this now instead of waiting. <laughs> Again, same thing as with Rector and with Jin. There's just no pressures in the market that will force a permanent retrace. Yeah. So if you, if you want it, the time is as good as any. Exactly. Uh, things that might have some pressure. Uh, all of the coin flip cards went crazy this week because of, oh, God, what are they called? Um, the Eye of Chaos and the Eye of Wisdom. 
Zender Split is the Eye of Wisdom, and Okaun is the Eye of Chaos. Both of them uh, want you to flip coins, and you get something when you win any coin flip. So everything that's already in Magic that has coin flips went just ape shit this week. Uh, are, are these the foils or non-foils for Fiery Gambit? These have got to be the foils. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah, so foils. foil Fiery Gambit went from $7 to $14. Uh, and if you've never played this card, you uh, I actually know this off memory. Uh, flip one, you get to Lightning Bolt. Flip two, discard uh, is draw two cards, I think. I guess I don't know it off the top of my head. And then at flip three, you can deal six to target player and everything they control. I think pretty sure, pretty sure. And I play. Right, so the whole point here is that you're going to, you're going to, the new commanders are all about the coin flips because they partner with each other and each other only. So you also throw one of the other big movers from this week, Crux Thumb, both the foils and non-foils moving with the um, foils moving from 5 to 20 and the non-foils going from 2 to 10 um, on the premise that people will auto-include these in this new commander deck that I suspect will be like reasonably popular. So let's call it like, I don't think it's going to break the top 20 of the format, but it will have a moment here where people No, this that. is um this is sell like mad. Uh I have this deck from nineteen ninety eight with four fiery gambits. Uh Mana Clash hasn't gone up yet, but you don't really win that coin flip. Uh, I got the four thumbs, I got four goblin bookie, which uh isn't gonna go up because most playgroups don't like silver border cards. But uh yeah, this is um a, a deck that Somebody's going to build, and it's going to be funny, and they're going to lose a bunch with it, and they're going to say, oh, I don't want to play this anymore. And then hopefully you've already sold all your cards to such people at that point, because that's exactly what I'm doing. There's only, there's, you're only going to get through so many games before your playgroup gives you the evil eye every time you pull Did you just make an evil eye joke with one commander being a homunculus and the other being a cyclops? <laughs> oh, my God. Let's, let's move so, on. Squandered resources at a Mirage is a reserve list card. This is bottom of the barrel, the usual RL stuff, moving from $7 to $14. Um, not a card that is important anywhere. The next card on our list is another one of my picks from a little ways back. Chain Veil Foils moving from 20 to 40 Not a surprise if you understand that Atraxa continues to be um, one of the top three commanders of all time and is getting a reprint in anthologies, but without the Chain Veil, and even if it had been included in some fashion, it wouldn't have been Foil. Um, which means that chain bill foils from M15 uh, are now, which were already relatively scarce, are now even more scarce. This could easily end up being a $50 or $60 foil before they get around to reprinting it. However, it does need to dodge Magic 2019 later this summer, which is a perfectly reasonable place for it to show up. That's an interesting question. Are we going to get this card in another core set when they have told us that they are planning on closing down the Gatewatch storyline? Hmm, that's interesting because I've got three or four of these from one of the times that uh, I picked them. I think I got them for around 10 and I got to decide if I'm going to sell these at this point. That's uh, I got to weigh that. Thank you for reminding me that. I think that you're, I think our original call was under 15. It might have been as low as 10 for the foils. And so, you know, 
whatever your greed limit here is what governs you. Um, there's, I would say, I, I put the chance of it showing up in this summer in Magic 2019 at like 15%, 20% or something. I mean, there's only 15 Mythic slots a set, right? So any given, if it was a rare, it would have, a, I think, a very good, a pretty decent chance because you got a lot more rare slots to work I with. I actually, um, but, but because Ulta Teferi does the same thing, right? Yeah, and we just yeah, got that. So we might not get another reprint, uh, especially because the non-foils are relatively cheap. Uh, I think I'm probably going to hold a little longer now that I think about it. So it, it sort of depends on whether they were thinking about what cards might get too high if they reprint Atraxa, um, and how hard they thought about it. <laughs> Track record says not so hard, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I bet I, I think I'm only I, I I might have four or five of these foils left. Um, I'll throw them up close to forty and see if they move, if one or two of them moves and then decide where to go from there. I'll probably end up selling mine at Vegas and uh, getting a couple dual lands for some of the stuff that spiked. That's my plan. Uh, I might I was thinking I would get one of these that's next on the list, but that might be a little out of the range now. Uh, the Bloodstained Mire, uh, the Onslaught, the original pack foil, uh, has gone from about $150 to $315 for more than a double up. And uh, original fetch lands and foil are just so pretty. They're so much better than expeditions. And I, I can be talked into judge foils if you wanted, but the original border foils just make my heart sing. And if you have one, keep it. And if you're thinking about getting one, again, go buy it now. It is not going to get cheaper. I think you have to work with these now as though they're reserved list, because even though we are certainly getting several more reprints in the next 10 years of the fetches, and we're due for one maybe the next 18 to 24 months, um, the originals are the originals, and there will be a mar an increasingly rabid market for the original foils. It's important in modern, it's important in legacy, it's important in vintage, it's important in EDH, it's important in cube. That's a lot. It's basically important everywhere but standard. And when it wrote, if it ever makes an appearance in standard again, then <laughs> you know, you have that yeah, every FNM has the guy that shows up the like the max value standard deck with like the foil Japanese printing of opt or something. <laughs> no, I I just love the as I said, I love the old border foils, and uh, I think that this was among the lowest priced ones. And if you have any of the others under say two hundred, uh, you are due for a correction on that. What are the other ones in? Yeah, we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, next up, we have the invocation version of Counterbalance has gone from thirty dollars to sixty five dollars. Uh, continuing our trend in the past few months of these uh, invocation versions taking off just like expeditions did, just like inventions did. And anything that's cheap is eventually not going to be cheap. The exception to that might be the uh, Battlelands from Expedition, but everything will have its time and its place. Even uh, Invocation Divert will probably get there eventually. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's interesting to note, though, that the the invocation and expedition um, loot grabbing that went on after it became very, very clear finally to everybody months and months and months after we 
called the alarm that the inventions were going to get there in a big way. Um, everybody jumped, jumped on the bandwagon with the, the other two. Um, there's been some pretty serious retracing. Like I have a feeling that if and when my package shows up, it does include some expeditions and some invocations, which are not going to be as an, as an attractive plateau as they were when I ordered them two months ago. Um, so it'll be worth a look-see to see how hard those retrace. Maybe I'll put an article together on that in the next month or so. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Next up we have, uh, this is the foil version of Swarm Yard, everybody's favorite super niche land out of Time Spiral. Taps for a colorless or taps to regenerate target insect, rat, spider, or squirrel. Rat Colony is a card people love to play with. We love rats, we love lots of rats, and we love free regeneration for the rats. Uh, the foils went from about 12 to 36, and uh, I, you know, I wouldn't move in on them, but if you've got them, I would, especially in foil, I'd probably hold. Uh, we're not going to get another one of these dumb lands anytime soon, probably. I don't want to say 100%, but that seems unlikely considering all the other stuff they need to print real bad. Yeah, I mean, in any casual or EDH-based rat deck, and woe be it that you bring that to my table, like, could it be any more boring? <laughs> um, play creatures, attack with creatures, play another game. It's great. But yeah, this is all about rat colony. Two one for one on a black. It's plus one plus zero for each other rat you control. A deck can have any number of cards named rat colony. And um, you know the play on this is like longer term is get rat colony foils at their low, um, or just rat col. Actually, foils is probably not the play because I don't think you when you buy like sixty rat colony you get them in foil. <laughs> so I mean foils may may get there eventually um, from one cycle. I was going to say you're around. you're not going to need up. many people to say I want foil rat colonies. You're going to need like five people in the USA to say that. Yeah, you do like five, five to 10 psychos that do yeah. the whole deck and foil. Um, but I think actually like the non-foil is better here because it'll be a buy list play. Like you're gonna get to the point where there's like relatively deep inventory on them. They've gotten real, real low. And if you can like on an eBay sale or something, pick up a hundred copies for like 30 or 40% below whatever market is at the time with the coupon. Sit on them for a year and then turn them into a buy list. You'll probably be doing fine. So because it, because it's only a common, I don't think it's the kind of thing you could possibly prioritize. Um, so it, it's not something I would ever make a pick, but it probably gets there. eventually. We're gonna we're gonna get a rat commander deck one of these days. It's gonna have twenty relentless rats and twenty of these. Again, <laughs> Sorceress Spyglass, a card we uh, have had on our radar as recently as uh, last week. Uh, Sorceress Spyglass from Rivals Vixalon has gone from a buck twenty-five to around five dollars on the back of play in a range of formats, uh, giving you the power to pick exactly what you're going to screw up in your opponent's plan. Uh, I have seen this card in Legacy sideboards and in Vintage sideboards. And it's good stuff in uh, standard too because you can turn off to fairies and whatnot. Yeah, it's likely to be one of the more enduring Ixalan cards. Um, and in a standard like we have now, where planeswalkers activating is an important piece of the puzzle, being able to get down ahead of them and basically shut them off until they get rid of the spyglasses is, is pretty key. 
Mm -hmm. Now note that this is the non-foils. Uh, the foil versions uh, I would I could be talked into if you wanted to pick those up now. They are not as cheap as you might think they are. If I remember right, let's see, Sorcerer's Spyglass is currently at 15 in foil. And I kind of like 15 at foil because it won't take much to be a, a third. Yeah. Foil. Foil rare. What's the like? What's the ramp? How much Let inventory? Let me see is what TCG has right now. Let's see. Sorcerer's Spyglass. You are going to have how many? Uh, let's see. Right now, I see two pre-release foils. And I okay, yeah, yeah. So then, yes, you get this. A lot of this is coming from standard then, because it would, could not possibly be draining that hard from anywhere else. The it's important in standard sideboards right now. Um, my guess is if we go over to uh, Goldfish and look through sideboards, yeah. we're going to see it all over the place. And it may show some retracing at rotation, but that's a way you know, uh, still a ways off. Um, it's got another year, so. Any foils you can find lying around at your local shop in the like say ten dollar range, you probably get to buy list out closer. Yep, to there's even right now there's only uh, twenty six foils on TCG, and that's a that's a really low inventory number for a card that we just finished playing with. No, no, we just finished opening. I mean, oh yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, a couple of reserve list cards made a pop: Oath of Ghouls, Powder Keg, Magic Play Rewards, and. Uh, Soul Devi Digger from Alliances. Digger and Ghoul went from about a dollar to something like six or seven, so 500% plus gains if you can believe you're going to be able to exit, which you will have trouble with, I think. Powder Keg Magic Play Rewards is a weird one because it is a card that at one point was like one of the better colorless ways to deal with um, aggro decks, but got is now outstripped by several other cards, um, uh, including... Engineer explosives. So, and it's also not legal in modern, right? Pretty sure that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was ever printed in modern. So, because <laughs> it's on the reserve list. So, no one really wants these, but collectors, uh, can you get $50 for one when you could, they were $5 last week? Probably not. Um, not something I would want to have a deep inventory on, but you may see a $20 or $25 buy list on them at some point this year. Um, at which point, by all means, cash in and straight up. And tell us about our big winner of the week, which is uh, high on the silly factor. Yeah, I mean, this just ties into the coin flip commanders, right? Frenetic Afrit is both on the reserve list and a coin flip card, and in the colors of the coin flip commanders. So, um, so that one popped pretty hard from, say, 50 cents or a dollar to 15. And it's almost certainly going to hold over 10 because, again, reserve list, and it's probably an auto-include in that deck. Well, because you get to, um, I don't know if you ever had the joy of playing with this card, you get to activate it a whole bunch. And then, um, like when it was in standard, or the equivalent of standard at the time, uh, you would activate it and then see if it worked. And then you could activate it again. So you could never kill this. So you just get to activate it a whole bunch and put an arbitrary number of coin flip triggers on the stack, and this will win you the game with uh, the Cyclops guy. Uh, you just need to give him trample because you'll win, you know, eight of your twenty-five coin flips, and everybody else at the table will want you dead. 
Got it. All right, let's jump into our cards to watch this week. Uh, I think one of the cards that is um, something that looks undervalued to me in the mid to long term is Maze of Ith, the original printing from the Dark. There is a lot more of the Dark uh, than there is of, say, Antiquities or Arabian Nights. The print runs were ramping up pretty hard by that point, Um, but still a lot less than anything close to modern print runs. So... And Mazabeth is not on the reserve Correct. list. It's been reprinted. I think it was last printed in Eternal Masters, if I'm not mistaken, um, with pretty nice art. But the original Black Border copies are available for about 30 bucks. The inventory is not super deep. And keep in mind that even though this isn't reserve list, it's in 18,000 EDH decks. It's restricted in old school, but still played there. It's close to a five-year low because the Eternal Masters uh, printing seems to have had a negative impact on the original um, but I expect that to reverse course and head upward um, in the not-too-distant future. I think you could do worse than having, say, two, three, four copies sitting on hand for when somebody inevitably spikes this and it goes up to 50 or 60. If I can make a further suggestion of those of you who might want to pick these up for your own use, look for the uh, foreign language printings of this. The colors are so much more vivid and uh, just a beautiful thing, and this is a great pick. Uh, keep in mind that uh, this is original art we're talking about here. Uh, I think even the FTV printing has the new art. So there, oh, there's multiple new arts that show like more of a maze, whereas the original one has uh, dude acting. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. In in FTV land. FTV realms, yeah. Right. And then there was the judge promo, which made it to like $300 at one point and now is only a little under 100 yeah, it, it seems like the Eternal Masters printing was was the inflection point downward. Um, but given how things like Sedge Troll have been targeted from Revised, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that an original Maze of Ith uh, can't get there sooner or later. All right, I'm with you on that. Um, my first pick this week is Ral Zarek, the Planeswalker out of Dragon's Maze. Uh, right now you can get non-foils for about 5 and foils for about 25. Uh, I think that you'll be able to move those out at 15 and 40 or so. It's the coin-flipping Planeswalker for his ultimate. You flip five coins. You take a turn for each coin flip you win. Uh, he's just a, a super utility red-blue, and uh, I think you know he's going to have his time in the sun as people start building this deck and saying, I need more coin flips, and he's going to get that for me. This character died, right? Oh god, I don't know. I stopped following that for a, the longest time. He's no, he's alive, isn't he? I don't know. Okay. No, he's I'll tell you this much though. The spec is very much alive because the foils have a really pretty ramp um, that tends to turn my head, starting somewhere around twenty-two and very quickly ramping up to sixty over the course of about eight vendors on TCG player. But what that tells me is that as each one gets picked off, um, this thing is gonna keep ratcheting. So if you can get copies of the foils for under 30, I think that's a solid pickup. Um, the non-foils don't have particularly deep inventory either because our last visit to Ravnica was several years back at this point. Um, I think they're going to be harder to jump very hard. What did you, what did you put as your target on this? Uh, I think that the uh, if you can get in at 5, I think you'll be able to get out at 15, given how some of these other cards have spiked. Maybe. I like I like your pick of like twenty five foils to forty, as a more reliable exit. My concern here is that I think that this whole like coin flip commander thing is going to be 
uh, a flash in the pan. Like I think it might last through the summer and that's about, and then it takes up residence as like a deck you encounter occasionally playing. It's going to be like the, if, the whole rash of Nekusar things, but that's what we're trying to get in ahead of is I'm going to pick these up now before people have gone through and just, it says coin flip and it is going to yeah. go up. And I, I agree with you. This is going to be a flash in the pan. I just want to be ready to uh, help people achieve the maximum brightness on their flash. I'm just pointing out the difference between this and say something like uh, DJ's uh, pick a path of ancestry a while back that I picked up on and, and capitalized on. Um, path of ancestry was, was in multiple of the decks. Um, people may recall that the rarities in the commander decks in the fall are a little wonky. Like the rarity basically determines which how many of the decks the card appeared in, not how many copies per randomized booster pack. So it's only really a rough analog. It's also the explanation as to why Teferi's protection is so expensive right now because it was only printed in one deck. It's technically a rare or whatever. Um, Path of Ancestry is only a common um, by that determination, but the synergy is so open-ended because it basically works in any tribal EDH deck that I'd be much more confident holding the non-foils um, of that for a little while as opposed to something that is like Rao Zarek that is specific to a certain set of commanders being popular without knowing how popular they might be. That's fair. Uh, Rao Zarek, uh, for uh, another thing in favor of the foils, uh, he sees playing the vintage cubes as a way to untap uh, Time Vault as well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah, I like the, the foils most there. My next pick is a, another fairly popular EDH card. Uh, Sadizi Undead Vizier foils have been on this show before. I, I think both Travis and I have picked them within the last year. Um, but it's been a while since I mentioned it, and we really are at the tipping point now for these to go from, say, 15 to 25 or 30. It's in 18,000 EDH decks. could easily show up as one of the cards in a Fall Commander product for the non-foils which only makes the foils all the better because if it does show up there, then you're relatively certain to not see the card for quite some time. And the foils have all this time uh, to put up some gains. Um, I pick up some foil Russian copies um, for about 25 each uh, pretty confidently in Europe this weekend because there's just no way we're ever going to see that reprinted. I am, uh, I'm on board. Uh, I've got it in, uh, I think, three Commander decks as it is. And uh, it does everything you'd want it to do. It'll tutor itself. It'll give you some sacrifice value, whatever you'd like it to do. Uh, so DC's there to help. And she's hard to trifle with, too, as a five-mana big big old death-touching creature. Yep. Yeah, it, it's just a multifaceted utility creature that's going to be uh, a strong long-term staple in the format. Um, unlikely to be uh disrupted at that uh mana cost as well like they they seem to put out a demon every year that drives a bunch of, draws you a bunch of cards with some kind of penalty at the like seven or eight mana slot but a five mana demonic tutor like this with a hefty body on it is a little more and it's a zombie she's a zombie so that's super awesome because zombies are the best uh my other pick this week is uh something that was in uh masters 25 eidolon of the great revel uh, you can get non-foils for about 5. You can get foils around 17. Uh, this is the bottom of... This is as low as it's going to go. And if you ever wanted to pick them up for your potential use in a burn deck in Legacy or Modern, now is the time. Uh, 
foils of the original uh, made me decent money, and uh, it'll take longer for it to grow, but Modern and Legacy both have Burn as a relatively easy way to get into the format and start playing it. And this is a four of in both of those lists. It doesn't see a lot of play in other places. It is a cube card, but it's so much better when you know you're going to draw one, and being an enchantment creature makes reprints pretty unlikely. So this is this is where we get in at uh, five and seventeen. Uh, I think it's an easy pick to be uh, a double up on both of those numbers by the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, we should be at the the low for this card, um, or pretty close to it. You might want to say you wanted to you pick up a personal playset. You know, grab them whenever um, they're on sale, or you've got a coupon some point this summer because it's not going to like rocket ship up in a hurry. The non foils, at least. Um, but yeah, I made money on these the first time around too. This card is a four of staple and burn. Burn is never the best deck in modern, but it's a good on ramp deck for the format. So it will consistently see um, a reasonable level of demand. And you know, a big part of FGG Finance is is outside of the realm of speculation. It's just about picking up stuff when it's the cheapest so that you can make the game cost less for you. This is one of those times. And if you want to read some more low prices, that was the article I put up on Friday. But tell me about your last pick, because this is something I'm super jealous of. I didn't see it, and uh, I need to go fix that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no no genius-level evaluation here. This is just about... Um, reviewing what's popular in, in various formats. So in this case, we have Cambal Console of Allocation. Cambal Console of Allocation. There we go. Um, from Kaladesh, this is the one white black um, legendary creature. Um, I think the foils are going to uh, get from $4 to $10. $4 is very cheap for, for a foil rare that it was recently three of in the winning modern deck at SCG Louisville. It was in the side of Mardu Pyromancer as a three of um, against Storm and other decks that want to cast a lot of stuff all at once because it makes any opponent that casts a non-creature spell lose two life um, and you gain two life. Uh, I believe so. Let me double check. But uh, just the fact that I didn't know it was seeing this much commander play yeah, yeah. So, so Campbell drains for two. It's good because of that. It because it happens to any opponent that casts a non-creature spell. Um, it either draws a kill spell immediately or sucks up a bunch of life on your behalf in EDH. It's in five thousand decks on EDH rec. Um, it sees play in Legacy as well. It's probably a reasonable cube card, um, and it doesn't see any play in Standard. So the foils being at whatever price they're at now, four bucks or so, um, is not at any risk at rotation. So I think you can go ahead and snap up, you know, a playset for yourself or 5, 10, 15, 20 copies of this, sit on them for, say, 18 to 24 months max, and you'll be able to buy list them out at a, a pretty reasonable clip, um, something north of $10, I would think. Uh, one or two more showings like what it had last week uh, as we segue into segment three of the metagame we could review, and we talk about the Louisville modern open that was won by Mardu Pyromancer and a three of. Uh, it's awesome. It's going to, uh, if it puts up that kind of result, uh, any, with any kind of frequency, it's going to go up a lot faster than that and a lot higher than that. Yeah, three of in the sideboard. This guy was loaded for bear. Yeah. 
it's probably pretty decent against green white hexproof too, right? Because they have turns where they where they want to drop a bunch of enchantments. Well, that is uh, that will be uh, rough because every one of those enchantments is you're going to take conservatively eight if you can get Cumball into play uh, before the first batch of enchantments comes down. Uh, maybe four or six, but still big chunk of life, and you're gaining that life too. Um, We're also seeing Jeskai Control come to the forefront, which is pretty funny because when I was pulling bringing Jeskai Control decks to my local FNM at face-to-face games like maybe 18 months ago before uh, Alara was born, no one was very impressed. <laughs> but the meta has shifted, and the tuned versions of this deck um, are seem very well positioned right now because they can give um, most of the non-Tron decks uh, a pretty good run for their money. In a field of aggro and mid-range, uh, a tuned Jeskai control deck that knows what it's going to face is in a pretty good position. And it, we saw it finish second and I, fourth. I uh, really like the uh, Logic Knot, even though it's a common in Future Sight and a common in Masters 2013. Uh, the foils of that are, uh, it's like this is being used as basically counterspell, so that you're just paying blue, blue, and then delving away just enough cards to counter the spell. Um, I don't see Logic Knot as going down like ever. Uh, even if it gets reprinted, I would. Especially because Future Sight uh, borders, mm, I would probably much prefer to have the old uh, time shifted. The old, I don't future future shifted is the word I'm looking for. Uh, future border, but yeah. Well, is, is it, it's interesting here that the blue decks don't need to write run Thought Scour to fuel yes. Delve spells because they can rely lean on Search for Ascanta. Um, and Sergio has as Kanta said, posting up as ne- you know basically never a four of, but a consistent one or two of in blue control decks in modern, and going to be seeing you know EDH pl- play as well, um, and probably cube means that those buy a box promos are very unlikely to retrace anytime soon. Um, and <laughs> somebody offered me a Japanese foil search at two fifty before I even had it in my hands the other day. Um, wow. That I picked up, I think, at 140 um, in Europe. And I didn't snap sell. <laughs> no. Why would you? This is the, uh, uh, what did uh, Travis call them? Uh, Mapspeditions? Expomaptions? Whatever it is. No, Tra- uh, Travis, box. Travis probably hates that. But I, 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 called, really I called them masterpieces. Masterpieces? Sure. Uh, and I'd be, uh, you know, you'd have to offer me more. This is a very unique promo that they're not going to do again, and they're okay with that. They're going to reprint Search for Escanta in the next year. I mean, it seems like an auto-include in the next batch of challenge decks, but the uh, super spiffy uh, Japanese buy-a-box version, yeah, uh, it's seeing too much play in too many formats. It is way too good at what it does to not have a, a higher tag. Yeah. So, I mean, the other the other big news with this Jeskai build and with blue control decks in general is that all of us that were like, no, Jace the Mind Sculptor, too risky, big problem. Well, it may have been risky, but it's not a big problem. <laughs> and, in fact... Running Teferi. Right. So, Teferi Hero Dominaria may actually be more important than Karn uh, in modern, at least for the foreseeable future. And is just as likely a search for Azkanta from what we've seen so far to post up as a two of, but in this case, it's not a rare, it's a mythic. So 
you know, how, how much of the current value of Jace the Mind Sculptor can Teferi glean off, say, two to three years out? A lot. Uh, Teferi is really good. Um, I'll be interested to see what his price comes down to uh, at the end of our Dominaria season, especially because it looks like Battle Bond is going to suck uh, some of the oxygen out of it, and I wouldn't have thought that was possible considering the enthusiasm we had when we first went in. Um, I find that timing, I, I find this timing a little suspect, to be honest. I, I think that the Battle Bond hype cycle is at least three to four weeks I mean, early versus optimal. Um, and the and the reason is that demand has not been fully met for Dominaria because Wizards is almost certainly deliberately um, shortchanging initial supply on sets that for at this point. Something right. we've seen them do many times in the past and ha has been most notable with Dominaria because of how popular the set was. Um, that they do this thing where the initial allocations to the stores are lower than what they know they could sell up front because they want to drive the hype cycle. They want some cards to spike. They want people to get excited and, and feel like they you know get some FOMO going on and then have some pent up demand that they can mine for waves two and three of the supply well, cycle. I'm, I'm... Um, but, but battle bond hype is landing before the second wave of inventory has really taken hold in the market, which means that there are still several very expensive mythics in this set. And I think they're going to remain expensive. Uh, we we're going to get to battle bond in a minute, but uh, the number of people who will want to actually do two headed giant is pretty, is I would say relatively small, pretty small compared to those who would just do a regular eight person draft or whatever at FNM. But it can't, we can't overlook the fact that it is going to like take up some of the time. It's going to be a month and then M19 is out so that we are, lowering the amount of dominaria that gets open um wow that's uh not a lot of teferis on tcg but that's just because like we said the the amount that they've given us is so small uh, take a guess off the top of your head knowing that teferi i'm going to give you the freebie that teferi is right now around uh 35 on tcg player guess what the price and the uh, number in stock is for Star City. For Star City, given that it was featured on camera today, it could be zero. It is zero in stock at 45. Yeah, because wow. you, if you have the TV channel that talks about the card it is. Uh, and you get people hyped up that it's better than Jace, then people are going to go buy it. That's an interesting thought. Is Teferi better than Jace? Well, and he's seeing more in mod in, in in modern right now. That was a discussion that Patrick and Cedric had today, and the the determination was it is better in the blue control decks. This all hinges on that one very specific thing with Teferi: his ability to play um, to not force blue to play tap out control. In modern, it is not safe to tap out for Jace often on turns four, five, and six because you are shields down. The fact that Teferi untaps two of your lands and lets you hold up a whole bunch of stuff, everything from Logic Knot to Path to Exile to whatever, 
and respond to what your opponent does makes it more like a three drop or a four drop than a five drop. And that's a big deal. And that's what the blue decks need is to be able to be to respond. And there are still matchups where Jace might be preferred. Um, and you might see Jace in the sideboard swapping out at certain points against certain decks in certain versions of the metagame. But I'll tell you this much. I've already missed the boat on foil Russian Teferis. They are gone for me. Um, I, oh, I was hesitating on like 80 and $90 copies, assuming that they were going to come down. But the latest round of coverage um, talking about Teferi has put us in a position where People are going out and snapping them up because keeping this is like foil Russian Jace, right? Is X amount of dollars, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, probably pretty hard to move <laughs> right now, given the like waning popularity of Legacy as a core format for Magic and the fact that Jace has been unbanned in Modern, but isn't. Really and then Jace has had multiple printings. Let's um, not overlook that. Right, and so first print get to Fairy, probably good to not get another one for three or four years at least. Foil Russians may never get reprinted. They're probably a buy at two or three hundred, really. It, it, if this if this remains the best, you know, blue-white planeswalker in the format. Or blue planeswalker in the format. And let's say, uh, mm-hmm. let's see, we've got uh, M19 comes out in mid-July. What is your hoped-for price for Teferi non-foil to get to? that you're going to pick up to Barry in anticipation of, uh, I don't think he would end up in the, um, com- let's assume he's not in the challenger decks, not a given, although it's probably not. Uh, what what would be the price that you want to get in at for to Cause I know what my number is. I, I, I'd be focusing on foils, not non foils, because if, if the standard meta shifts, which it well could in the fall, right? then Teferi may or may not occupy a position in that meta. Um, But if you assume that he's great in modern in blue decks and that some version of blue control will continue to exist, whether it's blue-black or Jeskai or Grixis or whatever, depending on what shape the meta is taking, and that seems to shift about every four to six months in modern lately, um, then foils in the... If I can get some foils at... What's the lowest 60, price? 67. There's a lightly played foil. There's two lightly played foils for about 67, and there's a near mint foil for 68 with shipping. I think I think that's probably a solid buy because I think that you might be waiting. You you might be waiting three months. You might be waiting three years, but those foils, I feel confident, will end up over 150. It's it's unlikely we get another. Blue Planeswalker to compete with Teferi and Jace. There is likely to be jostling between the two at some point, but Teferi fits in <laughs> Atraxa. <laughs> Teferi. So foreign foils that are not going to get reprinted, again, Russian, Korean, German, um, are almost certainly super safe. I just looked at foil Karns too. My God. This is uh Karns are a hundred something dollars, yeah, hundred ten uh or so. Uh, I'm just really impressed that we have two ridiculously good planeswalkers at once. Usually we don't get that. Um uh, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and the current foils are interesting because it hasn't posted up in modern for sure yet. Like there are definitely lists floating around. Like I've, we've seen them in affinity. Well, he's, yeah. And I think the most likely is probably affinity because that's where you God, get to use the current most effectively. Dirty um, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's, it's not mine. It's everybody else's, but the, but he's not a thing Fair for enough. sure in modern yet the way that Teferi already is. Um, but in legacy and vintage, where you can, where you have lands that make two colorless, that's a whole different story. Because then it's like a two or three mana planeswalker with ridiculous upside. And uh, I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm looking at these foils and I'm thinking, this is his price right now at foil, and we are not going to get lower on these foils. We might go down like ten bucks, but there's only ten foils on TCG right now anyway. So, and and both of these planeswalkers are like shoe ins for Modern Masters 2023. Or like 2021, but somewhere in that range. But you're going to get plenty yeah. of time to make money on the foils and get out, get out before. Yeah, somebody's going to. Uh, it'll be it'll show up in the modern Pro Tour. God help us, the Legacy Pro Tour, and then uh, then the sky's the limit. Uh, anything else? You. Yeah, so I think I think I think I think with both of them, you just you play it. Keep it simple. Just buy an expensive foreign foil at the minimum possible price with an eBay coupon in the next couple months, and pat yourself on the back, put it in the closet, and and wait for it to marinate for a little while. Can I and start great. calling you the European mafia, the Russian mafia, something like that? Because you, <laughs> if you can come up with something good, go ahead. Because you need right. you need an appropriate nickname, comrade. Hey, chat. Travis is just as guilty of, of pushing views. I mean, first of all, Western Europe would be offended that you're <laughs> suggesting they're communists since they're pretty clearly the, the last bastion of democracy. Uh, also true. You got me there. Uh, man, let's talk about something happy. Let's go on to Battle Bond. All right, well, hold on. Let's just finish up. So the, okay. the top eight was Mardu Pyromancer, Jeskai Control, Green White Hexproof, Humans, Blue Red Gift Storm, um, including Baral, Chief of Compliance. I think those foils are, are also worth a look. Um, and then two copies of Jund in the top eight this week, a deck that people have been uh, kind of counting out. This is Bloodbraid Elf top eighting, um, certainly doing better than Jace after its unbanning, in a pretty classic configuration. Um, Blackleaf Cliff foils don't look likely um, to do anything but continue to appreciate slowly unless uh, that particular cycle shows up in uh, Magic 2019. If Dodge is there, then, you know. Yeah, then we got to wait till we I, return I, to Mirrodin, and that's uh, at least four sets away? Yeah, because they told us the next three after M19 are all Ravnica. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. They're, they're going, all, all of a sudden, the two-set block, the one-set one plane per set policy has been reversed and we're back to three set blocks for some That'll be great. We'll be, okay. you know what? They're just going to make us all sick of all of this and we'll say, thank God we are never going back to Ravnica because then they're on to like Ravnica to the fourth power. We really mean it this time. I mean, I seem to be in the minority, but I don't understand why we're going back to Ravnica too soon, way too soon. Return to Ravnica was five years ago. It, yeah. And, and the funny thing is this this move uh, 2013 right yeah so five years ago the 
this move makes sense in the context of the narrative. But why we're letting narrative drive that particular truck, I don't understand. The Ravnica is beloved by somebody, I guess. It's not beloved by me. So that's why I say I'm in the minority. Um, I think it's fine. Um, it tends to be, you know, multicolor, well-balanced multicolor tends to be an interesting draft format. Um, probably the most relevant detail there is like, are we getting the shocks back again? Okay. Well, come on, man. Is there any circumstance under which they do not print the shocks again? Yeah, I, I think they could give us something else instead. Oh my God, you're crazy. They are 100% giving us the shock lands again. Well, I mean, I certainly agree with that to the extent that I'm buy-listing most of my shocks. <laughs> because they're going to be $5. So um, you can get like 16 on buy list for Steam Vents right now. And like between 10 and 14 for most of the others, depending on which one you're talking about and to whom you're sending it to. Um, I've got 40 or 60 surplus sitting around from Ravnica era that, you know, I just decided to keep because I could throw them in any old deck at any time. But given that they're just sit most of them are just sitting in a stack in the like building decks box or whatever, it makes no sense whatsoever for people not to be sending these into buy lists with this question mark hanging over your head. If they don't get reprinted in the Ravnica block, then they're probably going to appreciate some. Oh my god, there is a there is a negative percent chance of them not printing the shocks. Yeah, it, it's it's just weird to me. Like there's still Ravnica product on shelves, right? <laughs> Mid to large size stores have plenty of Ravnica sitting around. You don't even need the new set to get your shocks. You can probably buy old Ravnica packs and, and open them for cheaper. Probably. Probably, but the uh us going back to Ravnica again, uh, relatively quick. Uh, it, it does seem a little surprising. I'll, I'll give you that. It, it seems like two years. If, you know what it me. feels like to me is um, I'm really surprised that they would go hit us with nostalgia, 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 like so quickly one after the other. I'm surprised that they're not giving us a chance to like recoup and one set of M19 is not going to be long enough for us to um, polish our memories or whatever the appropriate phrase would be for us to um, be ready to um, dive back down memory lane again. Yeah, I mean, this, this is really about the conflict between um, new world narrative interfering with your core narrative. When you're on the Ixalan story had to be like Jace got lost by himself because you can't deal with all of the characters in the narrative and explore a new world. And so that's part of why we're going back to Ravnica because they don't have to do as much world building explaining in the narrative or on the cards. We all are relatively familiar with Ravnica so they can focus on the battle with Nicol Bolas trying to take control of the plane, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Jace probably ascending into some new form as the living guild pack, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like, like, like Uber chase or whatever the, um, and yeah, so there's all of that going on. I'm not particularly excited about it. I'm especially not excited that it's a three set block. Um, although I think the, somebody says something like the third block might be like Nicol Bolas's mind plane or whatever, like his meditative plane, like some really weird plane that they go to um, for the final set in the series where they like throw us a twist. Like 
maybe at the end of the second set, they've like chased them off Ravnica. They pursue them through a portal and they end up somewhere super wonky and they get to try some experimental stuff. Fair. That could be. I'd, I'd like some change because they, they didn't do many, even in the last like few years, they didn't do a lot of the, the three set block. They always had to mix it up a little bit. They did something wonky. I think Theros, Theros was the last time they actually did big set, small set, small set. Yeah. So final topic of the week, we want to talk through some, the Battle Bond full spoiler is out now. Um, and people are, much to my satisfaction, referring to it as Commander Masters, which is a premise that Travis and I discussed on cast like maybe two, two and a half months ago, um, where my core point was that EDH and Commander are so important now that in a year where they really need to get back on track with revenues and brand building, they are very likely to give us a bonus commander product or a product with a strong commander focus. And that, you know, what we need isn't themed master sets. It's just a commander masters because commander is such a strong part of the community. It, it, if it's not the number one format, which is probably still standard, it's definitely the number two. And as the number two, it deserves to get more product or more shout outs in whatever ancillary product you make. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Battle Bond, where many of the important rare and mythic slots have were snapped uh, up and assigned to cards that were either going to be good both in this two-headed random two-headed giant format that they're, they're going to have us play for like two weeks and then forget about and then continue on to be interesting cards for Commander. I'm with you on that. Uh, some high points. Uh, this is doubling season's worst art, in my opinion, but it's doubling season. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah that, that seems to... I, I've heard other people say the same thing, but I also talked to people that said it was their favorite. I, I actually think it is my favorite art, but don't necessarily think it reflects what I think people think of when they think what doubling season is supposed to be representing. All right, I'll give you... It is a great piece of art. It is just a crappy piece of art for what doubling season does and represents. I agree with that. I, like, I think it, it feels like a green-white card, yeah. right? It feels, like, it feels like a land. Honestly, it looks like a land. Uh, see, short version of this is buy doubling season if you are ever going to use a doubling season. And you should probably buy one extra just for when you're going to build a deck that will use doubling season. Um, it's not just for Planeswalkers. It's for all the shenanigans you want to enable. Um, with, let's see, what else is awesome? There's, there's basically only two possibilities here. Either they short shift um, this set and Battle Bond doesn't have a very high print run um, because it's a summer set <laughs> and it is sandwiched in between Dominaria and Magic 2019. And the format is not likely to be super popular for very long, um, much in the same way as the conspiracy right. products played out in LGSs. So if it is a short print run, the doubling season at Mythic instead of Rare is likely to recover relatively quickly. And the foils, and keep in mind there are Japanese fresh Japanese foils, because um, the set is being printed in Japanese as well, um, are going to recover even faster. So I think probably only get four to six weeks to get on that horse. Um, or they print plenty of this set, but again, nobody's playing it. And so it ends up very much like Conspiracy 2, where you can get boxes really cheap, and the EV of the box is much higher than people believe it to be. Um, 
one of the things I think that's interesting here is that people are acting like this set is way, way better than Iconic Masters and uh, M25 um, because it includes some of the reprints that they were hoping for in those sets, like Doubling Season. Um, but looking over the entire spoiler, this is not that impressive of a set. Like, there are some much-needed reprints here, but several of them are going to crash and stay crashed because their demand level actually isn't that high. Some of the cards are going to are going to appreciate just fine once they hit peak supply and are going to be excellent targets. And we'll talk through a few of those in a minute. Um, but this set isn't that deep. Like I think when Saffron does his like EV calc, it's going to look good out the gate, and then it's going to settle pretty quickly, fair, like significantly lower. What it does do, what it does highlight though, is the tension in the community over ten dollar packs versus four dollar packs, and really what's so different. That's exactly about. what I was going to say because, hell yeah, I agree that this is going to be a lot like uh, uh, Eternal Masters or uh, M A twenty five, where you're going to have one or two ridiculous foils that, if you hit, will hit big. Like a foil, like Arena Rector, is going to be a hundred. Um. Yeah, uh, and I would not be surprised if that price goes up, because uh, you're gonna want one of these in every dumbass uh, attracts a deck that's out there. So, um, I think that these are exactly going to follow that pattern. They're going to print about as much as they did of Conspiracy Two, because that's their the the one that they have for reference. And uh, a lot of these are going to be not very expensive, but it doesn't hurt you as badly to open a dollar rare when you spent four bucks on a pack or 15 on a draft versus 35 in a draft. I remember they had places doing uh, you like my store. If you opened a tree of redemption in your draft, they would just like take the pack away from you and give you a new pack. And you were allowed to rip up the tree of, uh, of whatever redemption uh, right in front of everyone and do the little dance if you want, because it was that irritating to open a 10 cent mythic in your $10 pack. Yeah. So let's go over some of the, the targets I think are likely to be fruitful when this all plays out. Um, first of all, there are, this is the first true name nemesis is in this set. And yep. that means this is the first time we're getting foils of True Name Nemesis. Can you believe this did not get a Judge foil printing at any point? I'm, I just mentally assigned it to getting one, and I thought it would, and I am shocked that it never did. So here we go. I, I still think it will, um, and it will. That will. That is some, some sort of a threat to the foils. Um, probably doesn't impact Japanese foils much. Um, those are going to be pretty pricey. And I think that, <laughs> I don't know, they could sell it from Harajuku like pretty much right off the bat. I mean, Japanese players might not be that much about EDH, but they're certainly about legacy. Um, and True Name only really, like, I mean, there's going to be Chinese foils too, but Chinese just never seems to matter anywhere outside of China. So J Japanese true name nemesis foils are the only foreign foils of the card and probably for quite some time now, even if there's a judge promo, so what? Like that will be a target too at the time. Um, so yeah, true name nemesis is a big deal. Doubling season is a big deal. Arena Rector is a big deal. 
Um, Arena Rector is a 1-2 for 3 and a white. And like Academy Rector, when it dies, you get to exile it, search your, your library for a Planeswalker card, and put it into the battlefield and shuffle your library. So as you said, auto-include in Atraxa. Um, I also like Stunning Reversal. This is the instant. If it was a sorcery, I'd be less inclined. But as an instant, three and a black. The next time you would lose the game this turn, instead draw seven cards and your life total becomes one. Exile Stunning Reversal. So being able to... Sometimes in Commander, the thing that's killing you is not repeat, easily repeatable. Sometimes it is, and they'll just kill you <laughs> turn after turn, and you'll be very dead. But getting seven cards can be a thing, right? Sure, it can be a thing. Um, will it... The question is, will it save your bacon? Uh, people are going to play this, and there's going to be some really great stories of, you know, oh, I played Stunning Reversal, and it ended up winning me the game, and that'll be pretty amazing. But I I don't think I would play this in most of my decks. I'd probably try it, and it, I would sit there, and I'd have to hold four mana open, and since I'm holding mana open, everybody's going to say, well, he's got some counterspell or some kind of shenanigan. And they'd be right. I would. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> and, uh, I don't see this working too often, but I love that the effect exists. I'm going to be content to watch somebody else do great things with it and not like make my decks worse. Fair enough. I, I think there's on the priority list, the first three are definitely higher priorities. This is an unproven card, so you need to just you have to watch and see you know whether it appreciate. Right now, they want twenty for foils. I think that's premature. Yes, that is. Um, the but, but if it go, but if it does entrench itself in the format, it's highly unlikely to see it reprinting anytime soon because it was only printed in this in this set. It's going to get three to five years before you ever see if, it again. If this was modern so, legal, you know, you just have. To I would be more interested in the foils because there's some stuff you can do. Uh, like I would want to be in on foils at like eh, five ish, because this this has this screams dollar mythic to me, and um, yeah. But then I, if it were modern legal, somebody would show up to uh, an event with this plus the Amonkhet, take another turn, you lose the game card whose name I can't remember, uh, or some other form of I'm gonna lose except I'm not and uh, doing some work with that because nobody's going to be expecting a card like this. But I don't think that's going to happen in Legacy. So you're really hoping for Commander to make this card good. And $20 foil, that's super optimistic. You're not going to get there. If I'm going to spend 20 on the foil, I'm going to buy the Nurkana Revenant instead. Sure. So, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, cards that haven't proved themselves yet, you're going to get a chance to watch and see how the commander community um, embraces or doesn't um, the card in question over the course of say the next three to six months. And you're probably going to get a, if you see the number, if it generally my rule of thumb is if it gets up over 2000 decks in the first four months or so, then it, I, I know it's going to add momentum. If it's in the lows, like, like hundreds, like 300, 400 decks, then it's going to be a fringe card. All right. That makes sense. That's a that's a good rule to follow. So one of the other mythics, though, that definitely has my attention on the basis that it's an EDH triple threat in the sense that it is a wizard, a looter, and 
brings things back from the graveyard is Arcane Artisan. This is a two and a blue for a zero three, and then two and a blue, you tap it, target player draws a card, then exiles a card from their hand. If a creature card is exiled this way, that player creates a token that's a copy of that card. So it's like a show and tell on a stick. That doesn't and the token the does not go away at the end of turn. And you got to loot into it. So you you got card selection on the way into that nonsense. Now, if the thing leaves the bat, if somebody kills this creature, you exile all tokens created with it. So it is an absolute yeah. lightning bolt. <laughs> but if, if, if you get hexproof on this thing with your lightning greaves or whatever, holy shit, this thing can do some work. Either Necronic Ooze decks, uh, so it doesn't matter if it goes to the graveyard, you're still getting some mileage out of that. Or um, who's the guy who you exile stuff with cage counters and you have all those abilities? I don't remember the name. but uh, Oh, Marisol? Yeah, Marisol. You don't tend to play a lot of like huge overpowered creatures in that deck. You tend to make him just a Swiss Army knife of goodness. But my god, like this is good with... Uh, you can do this with uh, Experiment Krosh. If you manage to get a counter on this, then your Krosh can do this ability too. And you know, there's a there's a lot of good things to do here. Uh, what's this going for early yeah. on? Uh, they want eight for the regulars, thirty for the foil. I think that's pre like that's too high, um, and you're gonna get a chance at it like closer un- under fifteen for foils would be my target. Yeah, I was I was thinking half that. Uh, what's your take? Uh, I'm sorry, was there something else you wanted to add on for the artisan? It's interesting. I'm curious whether it makes it it fits in Maldratha because it exiles the cards that you're discarding, so you don't get to bring them back the cards back from the graveyard unless your Maldratha deck has mechanisms by which you're bringing things from exile back to the graveyard. But the arcane artisan being killed and not exiled lets you keep bringing it back, <laughs> which is certainly reasonable. Just makes Urza's Ruinous Blast that much more important, man. I don't want to leave home right. without it. All right, so what was your question? Uh, where are you on Mystic Confluence getting an actual printing? Because it was just Commander and then just the Judge Foil, right? Yeah. So I would have been much more interested if we got a Fiery Confluence right. Foil, um, but they didn't include both. They just included the blue one. Um, so... Here we are. Um, what do the judge foils for Mystic Confluence go for? Uh, let me look that up real quick. I think they're at the surprisingly high. Let's see. Confluence. Yeah, it's currently about 20, bucks. Oh, 20 bucks. That seems a lot lower than I thought it would be. The Battle Bond foils are pre ordering for how much? Yeah. 10. Uh, let's see. I see them on eBay for 60. Somebody's really optimistic. Let's see here. Mystic Confluence is in 8,000 EDH decks, and the only other foil was a Judge foil, so this is essentially the first foil printing. Whatever low this gets to, definite buy. Agreed. Get yours, uh, and when... It's not going to go super low, but when it gets there, it'll get there. This is one of the ones I would probably get in English instead of Japanese, because modal spells are complicated enough that just to be polite to the table, <laughs> having them in a language everyone can read is, is usually a good idea. Um, like, I have no problem 
presenting Atraxa in Russian, because everybody knows what it does. Um, okay, so the other one here is Seedborn Muse, which was in, I think, 9th and 11th, and originally in Legions, right? Yes. So we hadn't we hadn't seen a foil. Uh, uh, we haven't seen this card since tenth edition. Uh, Sorry, it was ninth edition. Yeah. There's no such thing. That's okay. Ninth uh, uh, and tenth edition. So we haven't seen this since tenth edition, which was quite some time ago. So this is an auto buy too. This is very similar to Mystic Confluence. It's like in twelve thousand EDH on decks on EDH rec. Um, strong persistent demand fits into most green decks. Um, Foils are relatively rare already, um, and you get a shot at Japanese foils here. That one's fine to get in Japanese, I think, because, again, most people know what it does, and it's easy to explain. Um, solid, solid, solid. Yeah, Seedborn's uh, an easy card to love and an easy card to get killed for. So I'm all for those cards in Commander. You play it, you either die to it, or you uh, kill the other person for having the temerity to play it. Yeah. So I think the, the dual lands in this set are auto-buys auto when they get low enough. Um, right now, foils are going for like 30 bucks. That's way too much. Um, but if that gets down under 15, then for sure, for sure. Because again, we're not going to see these again. Certainly not. Like you could see this pop up in like Commander 2020 or something, um, but they'd be non-foil. Yes. These will be... Uh, I think these have, are going to have a a price structure similar to the Scrylands, the Temples, just uh, lacking the occasional amounts of, like, ad nauseum decks will play some Temples just to gain that one more bit of library manipulation. Uh, these will be the 4 or $5 foils, or excuse me, 4 or $5 in non-foil. And uh, I think these are going to be something that you'll see in future Commander products, especially because we're only getting the ally colored now. And uh, we will eventually get the enemy-colored ones to go with. Yep. The um, the deal here, I mean, these are duels yeah. in Commander. Most phases of the game, they're not fetchable duels. So if you're holding or playing fetch lands, and it's not, you can't go get this card, but that doesn't really matter. Like, Travis was trying to make it that seem like a disadvantage. The reality is that in a deck full of fetches you have the shocks to go get you have the duels to go get so is this you put this in before bayou no but for people that don't own bayou this is great because this is untapped dual lands and a lot of suboptimal edh decks are running you know duels and tries that come in tapped this is as a obvious upgrade that is going to have a reasonable entry point but it's not in a fall set like the Skylands were. This is in a summer set. So foils are, that inventory on foils is going to seem deep for a moment, and then you're going to blink, look up in six months, and realize there aren't. Yeah, and that's going to be true of a lot of the things in Battlebond, especially the things that are new to Battlebond. Um, like, uh, what else is new? Like something like Last One Standing. Uh, I love that card a lot, and it's not going to be particularly amazing but it's gonna see there are gonna be some number of people who say this is the card i want to play and nothing else will will do for me um uh, what else we got that's intriguing so stolen 
strategy I was asking people on Twitter whether they thought this or Sunbird's invocation from the Ixalan block would be more relevant in EDH on the go forward. Sunbirds, you get to flip cards off the top equal to the casting cost of something that you just cast and then cast something additional on that basis. This one lets you look at your opponent's top cards and cast them. Both are interesting in different circumstances. They also both compete with things like Outpost Siege and Vance's Blasting Cannons. Like Red has a bunch of these like three to five mana spells that give you conditional card advantage. Um, and mana fix for you in situo. So it's a rare. There are at least five or six priorities that are above it that we've already talked about. If the foils get low enough, um, and I think that the like the Japanese foils on the commander specific stuff that has no relevance in legacy, um, you know, you're likely to get your moment if you're paying attention. I'm with you on that. Uh, I like stolen strategy if I can get the foils uh, pretty cheap. I'd want to be in, uh, I'm going to say something like $3 you could talk me into picking up some of these. Sure. I think this is not as good as uh, Sunbird's Invocation because you still have to pay mana to cast the spells that you reveal, whereas with Sunbirds, you're just going to get the spell that you reveal. Um, cards that have the overlay between... Um, Commander and Legacy, though, uh, Spellseeker is the one that I'm most afraid of. The uh, two and a blue human wizard for a one, it's a one one. You get to search a library for an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost two or less, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Uh, this seems like a ridiculous toolbox card in Legacy or Commander, and I'm really sad that this stupid thing can fetch up Cyclonic Rift. It's just going to make me so goddamn angry every time somebody plays this, finds a rift, and then looks at the snapcaster in their hand and says, all of you are going to play the game I want to play. And I'm hyperventilating just at the thought, so... <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, I bet these are going to be pretty in foil. Yeah, this looks like a card that's going to be attractive in foil, given the art. Yeah, and it's open-ended synergy, right? Like, yeah. over time, it gets more and more targets, and different decks will want it for different purposes. So um, that one's a slam dunk, especially since it is the only printing. Um, Greater Good was only ever printed in Urza's Saga, has a Judge promo, and now in Battle Bond. So that one's right up there with... Um, uh, what was the other one? I don't know what the other one is. <laughs> Seaborn use the one that okay. untaps all your lands. Um, Greater good is only in, is in less decks though by a significant margin. Yeah, it's got um, about seven thousand on EDH rack. So Seaborn use is your top priority in the green cards. Then Greater good, and then maybe maybe vigor. Yeah, Vigor is a card that is just going to, it's always going to be good. Everybody who finds that card is like, oh my god, this card's amazing, because it is, because you have to kill it directly. Uh, something else that's getting its first foil, even as it, it's an uncommon in the set, is Veteran Explorer. Uh, I was surprised that um, this sees just a little bit of play in Legacy, but this is the only foil version. Yeah. Uh, what's it? Because really, how many Legacy decks are playing two basics? So you don't really care about that. And um, this doesn't go get Dryad Arbor, does it? 
No, because it says uh, two basic land cards, but uh, Dried Arbor doesn't say basic forest. But anyhow, this is the only foil printing. So if you're at a Battle Bond draft and you happen to crack a foil veteran explorer, just, you know, gently slide that into your picks pile and uh, you're welcome. Because it's a 50 cent card otherwise, but in foil it's at uh, 20 plus, And that is actually a price that I think is a reasonable price. Legacy foil demand is not what it once was. I'm much more interested in EDH foils than legacy foils um, in general. But the condi- these are the conditions you're looking for when you're targeting a legacy foil. Again, I wouldn't make it... It's I don't think it makes my top five here, but fully agree that you snag them or you see them cheap. It's only a 2,500 commander decks. That's surprising to me. Uh... Yeah, Thrilling like Encore uh, caught my attention. Fumble, even though it's an uncommon, those foils are going to probably see a reasonable amount of play. That's the one that uh, bounces the creature and anything attached to it back to their hand, and you gain control of all the auras and equipment that were bounced. Well, I guess they're not bounced. You, get, you return the creature and bounce all the stuff. Yeah. So the yeah. only question is... Was some one if one of the things that was on the creature gave it hexproof, then this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but if it if it if it was Voltroned up but not protected, then this is a nasty, nasty little swing. Uh also keep in mind Lantex is in this, and this is the first foil printing that it's had since being a judge promo in twenty ten. Uh uh let's oh, see. Wow. What is let me look up. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. good deal. Um, it's been printed uh, a number of times. It was fourth edition and uh, was in Original Legends and uh, the I think there's a Chronicles version floating around out there. It's been a while, but uh, if you ever wanted to know how good life can be, uh, play Land Tax as uh, the second person in your commander pod, and you were going to have a field day. Somebody's always going to be ahead of you. It's going to be amazing. And you're just going to keep your hand full. Uh, what else did I want to make sure I looked at? Uh, I like bonus round, but I don't. Um, the more I think about it, the less I like it. Um, especially because uh, Legacy Storm doesn't need the card and Modern Storm can't play it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it would break Modern Storm. This is, this is the sorcery for one double red. Until end of turn, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, that player copies it and may choose new targets for the copy. So it's a fork, but it's not an instant, it's a sorcery, and it affects all further spells on the turn. The fact that it's a sorcery, I think, is the death knell, um, because you can't fool around with your opponent's turn. True, and uh, it does work for your opponents as well. Whenever a player, it's not just you. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm m- more interested in Together Forever. This is the enchantment for two white, which looks unassuming at first glance. When Together Forever enters the battlefield, support two, so put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. And then for one, uh, as a pumpable effect, choose target creature with a counter on it. When that creature dies this turn, return that card to its owner's hand. That thing looks like nothing, but sounds like so much shenanigans <laughs> down the road. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't say choose a target creature with a plus one plus one counter on it. It says choose a target creature with a counter on it. So any ca- kind of counter. 
I'm sure I haven't even begun to fathom the different things you can do with that in EDH. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you on that. Um, that's I'm going to be really pissed off at more than a few games with that card. Is how that's going to go. Well, and the thing is that like Atraxa Planeswalkers might be the most popular version of Atraxa, but then the second most popular is almost certainly counter-based strategies. Um, like creatures instead of Planeswalkers is the core of the deck um, with all sorts of counter shenanigans, and this probably slots right in there. One thing uh, I noticed is this is the like 73rd printing for Swords to Plowshares. When's the last time we got Path to Exile? We seem overdue for some of that, actually. Oh. Yeah, swords we get all the time because, again, it's it's only relevant in a format that they don't really care about. <laughs> Path they're more judicious with because they want to make sure modern staples maintain a modicum of value. Mm. All right, that's a that's a good way to look at it. Uh, we've had... so, so we're gonna get we're gonna continue to get path. Like we'll probably see it within the next eighteen months for sure. You mean plowshares? No, we're going to see Path again in the next 18 months. Plowshares we're getting right now, so it's good. And we got it in Eternal Masters too, right? Um, let's see. We got it in Modern Masters 3. And, oh, in 2017? Yeah. So, yeah, we did get it relatively. No, we did. We got Swords no, of Plowshares in 2017. No, we got Path to Exile in, in like, right, It's right, too right, late right. at night, man. I can't yeah, do this yeah. level of math. Yeah, Path, Path was last year, so it's it's got another like 12 to 18 months before we see it again. All right, so that's, I think, our first take on Battle Bond anyway. Um, we'll probably have some more notes a little further down the road as we see how the prices shape up once the thing is actually on shelves. Um, I'll say this much. I don't see anything here that I want to be pre-ordering, like not at Star City Games level prices. Um, but... And as far as boxes go, I also wouldn't rush on those. The only boxes of this I, I want to pay full price for is probably Japanese ones. Um, the, the English boxes, I'm more than happy to wait until Sports and More's ultra low price plus uh, an eBay coupon brings them down into the $60 to $80 range, at which point I would probably pick up a couple just for funsies. But you can get skunked on these boxes. These are You can, you can open like... Stunning Reversal, Brightling, and Bramble Sovereign instead of the good stuff and have just as bad a time as I did opening my M25 boxes last weekend. Yeah, but the significant difference there is how much you paid for those boxes. And that's, that's back to the, the packs. Like if you get hit on, uh, you end up spending $60, $70 on a box of Battle Bond, uh, that's going to sting. But if you, you know, totally whiff on a 150, even if you got it at a ridiculous like 150 price compared to the MSRP of 240 on Masters 25, that's still a lot more pain. Yeah, I actually think it's interesting. People always talk about pack price for the Master sets, but the reality is that like Iconic Masters and M25 have been available as low as $100. Like I got, I got my case of Iconic Masters for 400 flat with an eBay coupon. So, and my M25s, I paid 150 and that was a blowout because I got two Tree of Redemption in those boxes. Um, but they are not really $240 boxes. Like, nobody's paying that these days for those sets. They're much more frequently seen in the like 160 to 180 range on average. Well, so That's just a reflection of uh, either overprinting or 
not picking good cards for value. Uh, you can define oh, yeah, however it, you want. It, it, it's a it's a function of EV EV to an extent, but also poor PR. Yeah, like M twenty five actually did not have terrible looking EV. It was about average for a master set. But it collapsed much sooner because some of the choices they made had such shallow demand that they couldn't possibly hold the EV um, uh, contributions that they had coming into their print. So, like Imperial Recruiter. Richard Port. Yeah, Richard Port got wrecked, right? Um, so, the, Though everyone focuses on pack price, one of the solutions might be to put more packs. Oh, that's pack. another option. Like yeah, twenty, like twenty four is perfect for draft, but like does that even matter? Like if you have a few extra in the boxes, like by the time you've opened a few cases, if you're say providing thirty instead of twenty four, you're basically getting five boxes, five boxes of the old for every four, so you've got one extra box to draft with for every five versus the old model. If you see, follow my drift and most play most LGSs use would use additional packs as prize support anyway, so you can you can make it work. Um, I'm curious to see how they continue to refine this model because it's clear that the they could do better. Well, if that. your base point is uh, Eternal Masters and I'm sorry, is it Eternal Iconic Masters? And wait, uh, it's nearly midnight my time, and it's crazy late for you. Uh, I'm not sure which masters I'm thinking of now. But uh, if those and M25 are your starting points, then absolutely you can do better. And I... Yeah, yeah. It was right. like, you're thinking of Iconic from last November and, yes. and Masters 25 this spring, right? So, yeah. So they, I think that Battlebond already represents that they understand that um, because there are five... This set would normally probably been five really great reprints short of where it, where it has been presented to us. There is an excellent combination of new exciting cards for Commander and um, needed reprints in this set that nobody is going to be upset about. I don't think that these boxes are just like pure money or whatever. Like I think <laughs> you still have to get lucky to really like make chasing boxes worthwhile. Um, but it's a cool set, it's a good set. Um, and there are gonna be some very healthy targets in the next six to eight weeks that are going to open up, especially in the foils um, that we've discussed today. And even before then, we've got uh, the Pro Tour is next weekend? Yep, so I should be providing my usual coverage next weekend, perhaps with some help from other members of the team, depending on how daddy life goes. <laughs> um, but, but I'm, but I'm certainly, certainly interested to see whether the pros can you know break a format for once. It's been a while since they've had a chance to, you know, really kick the doors open with something new. And I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that these like six wait week periods or whatever to let the format settle on its own are all, all that beneficial. Um, I think it makes the pro tour less impactful when it, when the meta has already kind of figured itself out. So if this, if this one goes by and they, they still haven't really like, they're basically just playing into a known meta. I'm not sure how exciting that is for any of us. Well, we'll find out. Stay tuned, everybody. This, this is a standard Pro Tour, right? This isn't the, uh, the just team one with Legacy? I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Legacy one is after the core set. Yeah, yeah, because with core, they 
doesn't make sense for them to do standard again. So that's the the team trios, right? Uh, I believe so. Let me double check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty confident. All right. All right. So that's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online? Oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on MTGPrice.com. And I'm James Chilcott. You can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money. That's it for this week. Thanks for having me on, James. Uh, Feel free to give me a call whenever you or Travis are snowed in or whatever happens to (laughs) y'all. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, Always great to have you, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.